Hello and welcome to another episode of Tots. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Pete Gustin. He is a voice actor, author, and host of the Blind Surfer YouTube channel. Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your story, who you are, and what you do. I, uh, these days, I guess I'm, I'm most well known for my work as a, as a voice actor, as, um, I start to point out the things that I'm on people are like, Oh, Oh, I, I have a couple videos on YouTube or like, you know, this voice I do <laughs> over 10,000 sessions a year. I've appeared on every major, uh, network. There is, uh, almost all of them, ABC, CBS, NBC, ESPN, Cartoon Network, Comedy Central, Fox, FXX, FX. Um, I've won the award for outstanding movie trailer of the year when you're, when you're in theaters, you know, coming this Friday, that's, I do a Whoa. lot of those. Whoa. Okay. So that's the first time I've, I've heard you do that. Like live. That's, um, that's ridiculously cool that you can just like switch into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I've learned it's, it's not a, it's not a, a, a skill you wake up with. I mean, I did when I was 13 years old, I went to bed one night and I was like, can I bomb? Good night, dad. And I woke up the next morning and I'm like, mom, what's for breakfast? And she tells the story. She's like, I thought a man was in the house. Like some man broke in. I just, my voice changed overnight. And from then on, people are like, you should be in radio. But um, having the voice, you know, having puberty hit you doesn't grant you the career as a voice actor. It's uh, It was a long, long, long road of learning how to use the voice and actually how to, you know, it's funny, I, I, even in the beginning, when I very first started doing it, I called myself a voice actor, but it like didn't hit me for years that it's still acting. I really, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, trying to get into voiceovers, I really thought that, uh, you know, you're listening to sports radio, WEI. Like I thought it was just all about blasting out the, the big voice. And um, that was okay when I was working in sports radio and some rock stations, you know, uh, 101 WRIF, everything that rocks. You know, if you're up in Detroit, that's what you'd hear <laughs> every day on that radio station. Yep. Um, but there's more to it than just blasting out your, your big voice. And I actually was, I, it was a crazy thought. I just, I was about 20 years old, maybe 19. And the, the biggest voiceover guy in the world to this point uh, was named Don LaFontaine. And he was, he's the guy, you know, I say I'm, I'm a movie trailer guy. He was the movie trailer, the capital T H E movie trailer guy. And he was doing everything. Um, every movie for years. And he would drive around. It was a different time before mp3s could be sent out and he'd take his limo from studio to studio to studio in los angeles and just do every major trailer there was the guy bought a castle up in the los angeles area i mean he was he was doing amazing and uh, i called him as a 19 year old kid and i was like i want to get into the voice acting i want to do movie trailers and like even to this day i think of myself if some 19 year old kid called me like a, would I take the time? B, would I like take it seriously? Like, I, because, because of this experience I had with him, end of the story is he did take the call. Um, because of that experience, I do take people's calls and I try and give the time. But without Don in my life, I wonder if I would have. But he did. This, this guy making millions of dollars a year took a call from, from some kid. And um, once a week for a number of months, he'd call me from the back of his limo uh, and give me voiceover lessons and, and teach me what it was like to be a voice actor as opposed to just a big voice. And I remember at the time, the very first lesson he ever gave me, he, 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 he's like, I want you to recite the Pledge of Allegiance and I want you to do it with so much emotion. Like these, it's a, 
there's stories behind these words. People don't just put these words down for fun. Right. Every piece of copy you get, whether it's the Pledge of Allegiance or a promo for the evening news or an upcoming show or a movie, he's like, these words are meant to convey a story. And I want you to feel that message and emote. And he's like, if, if you can't tell the Pledge of Allegiance to the point that you almost bring yourself to tears, you're not doing it right. And I kind of remember thinking at 19 years old, I'm like, this guy's crazy. I'm like, you know, it's, it's voice acting. This isn't, you know, it's not that serious, is it? But he was right. He was right that you need to really get behind the words that you're saying. And um, especially in movie trailers. I mean, if you watch movie trailers, you know, everybody jokes in a world, one man, you know, an adventure like no other, you know, you're talking <laughs> in three and four word bursts. And in those three and four words, I mean, you can say one man, you know, one man, one man's about to do something. And that's just going to fly over your head. Or you could belt it out like one man. And you're like, whoa, is, you know, but you can you can get behind those words of one man and really be like one man, you know, it's there's a man, there's one, he's just a lot. There's so much that can be told in short little bursts. And Absolutely. he got that through to me at age 19 and 20. And then it really took me another 10 years of working with copy and practicing to, to get it. And then, um, so that was, that was the late nineties, I think. And Don passed away a number of years ago, unfortunately, but in 2018, I actually did win the award for outstanding movie trailer voiceover of the year for the film, uncle, uh, uncle drew. And, um, that was a huge moment for me. It was a big red carpet event up in LA. Um, Sigourney Weaver was a presenter. Um, it, it was, it was pretty amazing you know my, my girlfriend and I walked the red carpet I had a suit she had the dress where we were all done up and makeup and hair and everything <laughs> and uh, I was just honored to be there uh, we were sitting in the way back because I was just like enjoying the whole festivities and then they do the the movie trailer voiceover and they call my name I almost fell over myself I was like what but uh, I got to go up on stage in front of everybody and, and briefly told the story of Don and dedicated the win to him because he was the one that set me on the path. So it was really neat to have that come full circle like that. That's incredible. It, to me, it's like, here is somebody that has everything, right? And, and he's riding around in a limo just to different studios recording things. They're like, here's another million. Like, it's that, I mean, he's living the life. He buys a castle and some random 19-year-old that like, doesn't really know what he's doing yet is like, like, hey, could you help me out with this you know, voice acting thing? Like, what I, it's like, it would be like a little league player calling like a huge person in the MLB and just being like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to work on my hit. Like, could you like help me out with that? I mean, that's, that opportunity was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was unreal. I, I always, I always think it like, what if I was 19 years old and just showed up in LA and, you know, at the time, I guess the biggest actors were what Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, late nineties, something like that. Like, oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine like calling up Tom Cruise and be like, can I get some personal acting lessons? It'd be like, no, <laughs> you, know, you can join Scientology with me, but no, I'm not giving you acting lessons, <laughs> but he was, he was unique. And I found out, especially uh, I, I lived in Boston most of my life recently came out to San Diego and gotten a little more into the LA scene and gotten to know some of the people that knew him. And those stories are more prevalent than not that he was just such a good guy. And it really did rub off on me. I mean, as a, as a, a voice actor, it's, you know, there's only so much you can do for the world. You're sitting there and you're reading copy, but if there's people out there that want to learn that trade or get into it or, 
my story is obviously, well, not obviously because your your viewers don't know it yet, but my story is very different than his. And <clears throat> his example is the reason that I, I, I do a lot of the stuff that I do these days, the YouTube channel that I started, um, the Instagram, the, the, the way I do my Instagram, I guess we'll, you know, pull the curtain off. Uh, I'm, I'm blind. I have extraordinarily limited vision. I'm not blind in the sense that it's all black, but I'm staring at a camera that I know is set up on the opposite side of the wall of my studio. That's probably maybe three or four feet away. And I can't see that at all. Uh, I put my hand out in front of me. That's, you know, arm's length, whatever that is, two and a half, three feet. I can't see that. can't see that. Um, when I get my hand right there, you know, less than a hand's distance away from my face, I, I can see that there's something in front of my face, but can I distinguish the fingers? Not really. Um, my, my vision has become extraordinarily limited as I was born with a degenerative eyesight disorder. At the time it was called macular degeneration, but they renamed it because I got it so young, they called it Stargate's disease. And it started kind of rotting away the center of my vision. So when I was a little kid, it was like when I was young, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 years old, it was kind of like someone who just starts to need glasses. It was a little blurry, but glasses didn't help because my eyes were fine. It was the retina and the macular in the back of the eye that wasn't getting the information. Um, you know, a lot of people's grandmothers get macular degeneration. They get it when they're 70. And then by the time they're 90, they can't see very much at all because it's had 20 years to rot away your eyesight. Right. Now, I was born with it and I'm over 40 now. So my macular degeneration has had over 40 years to rot away my eyes. So, you know, it's pretty much gone, um, which has made everything that I've done you know, even calling Don when, when he wanted to give me lessons, he's like, well, uh, I'll email you some copy. And I'm like, yeah, can you send it a little ahead of time? And I, I explained him, he worked with me on that too, because he couldn't just send me copy and then have me read it right away at the time right. before I developed a system, which I can tell you about, but I used to have to get the copy, blow it up huge on a monitor. I'm talking like letters this big, um, and read it even sometimes with a magnifier, like six you know, inches tall. Yeah, like pretty massive. And then I, I wasn't even really able to read, you know, one man, I keep saying that as an example, but I, I couldn't look at one man, the words and see one man, I'd see letter O, letter N, letter E, all right, that's one space, letter M, letter A, and so on, because I really had to focus on what each letter was. Um, and that's the way I was doing voiceovers for a number of years is I'd either uh, blow it up huge, or I'd have to take a magnifying glass. And, and uh, if I was at a casting call, I'd I was embarrassed to tell people that I was legally blind. So I used to take copy and like go into the bathroom with a magnifier and, you know, letter by letter, word by word, start to memorize the copy. Um, because I did have a really bad experience. I, I graduated college. I went to Boston University and the whole time I, I thought I wanted to get into voiceovers and be a voice actor. And I had the opportunity to go down and meet with um, the biggest agency and the biggest agent in the business and I played in my tape and I was good. It was good, not great at the time, but you know, good enough to maybe get a shot. But he flat out told me, this is 99, this is before everything became PC and uh, you know you had recourse in, in events say, like this. Right. He told me, he's like, we're not gonna represent you. He's like, no way are we putting our company's name behind a blind guy who can't read copy like everybody else. It's just not gonna happen, sorry. Shit. And he sent me on my way. And that was, 
as you can imagine, I'd spent from age 13 when everybody told me I was going to be on the radio to the time I graduated college at 2021. I spent that whole time thinking I was going to be a voice actor. And here's this guy at the top of the business telling me, no way, it's not going to happen. And, and, and I'm quicker when telling this story these days to, you know, everybody's like, oh, you showed him. What a jerk. What a jerk. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't the greatest guy, but he also wasn't really wrong. I've learned that over the years with the amount of copy that a, a top end voice actor needs to read, working with a magnifier and giant font and memorization, like he wasn't wrong. It really wasn't going to work, but it did throw me for quite the loop. Obviously, you know, when you dream of doing something your whole life and someone says, no, that's kind of hard. Um, I did kind of sidetrack from voiceovers and I went into radio, allowing me to do some voice work. I became a production guy. Uh, when you listen to the radio and you hear the voices doing the, the, the promos, um, you know, another uh, nonstop block of music coming up next on WBOS. You know, there's noises and sounds and music and stuff behind all that. And that's put together by, by a production person. So I, I went into production. I started assembling those pieces and um, did that for quite a few years, but, but had the opportunity to make some of my own pieces, uh, kind of writing my own copy in my head and just saying it. But um, I forget the exact year, but I still had, it was before the iPhones, I know that. And I had a little flip phone, flip phone called the Envy. And uh, you'd flip it open, there was a whole keyboard in there and it had some speakers on it. And texting had just become a thing. And for the first few months, Everyone was texting back and forth. I'm like, this sucks. I can't read that font at all. It's minuscule on the, on the little, you know, cameras, camera phones back then. Yeah. Uh, but eventually the Envy had a feature on it that allowed you to press the pound button and it would read it to you out loud. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. So I figured out what buttons to press to text back. And then I could press the button and have it read out loud to me. And um, I was able to, to, to text back and forth with my friends back then. And I remember it all clicked one night. I was in the backseat of a car with a couple of friends driving. We were going out to dinner. We're in Boston. I got a text alert from a radio station. And the text was something to the effect of, you know, Red Sox beat the Yankees, 4-3, extra innings, David Ortiz, winning home run. And as the phone is saying that to me, I'm holding it up to my ear and I'm listening and I'm saying Red Sox beat Yankees, extra innings. Um, and I tell them the score and they're like, oh, great. You know, we're Red Sox fans. Like, great, they won. Um, the next day I woke up and I was like, hey, that was copy technically. You know, th th that, <laughs> that text message was copy and I didn't have to read it. I just listened to it. Right. And it, it kind of gave me the idea for the ear prompter. I'm actually, I'm in my booth right now. So I, I keep a little uh, earbud dangling. My computer's just, just out of the screen, I think, if, if the camera hasn't moved. And so I just throw the earbud in my left ear and then I hit go on the copy of the text to speech. It's telling me every movie trailer, TV promo, radio promo, commercial, everything that comes through me, uh, through my studio all day gets read to me in a robot ear. And after, I mean, this wasn't something I figured out in 10 minutes. It was after a couple of years of training, I'm listening sure. to a robot voice saying, you know, supermarket sweep returns to ABC this Sunday night at eight, seven central. Like listening to that stupid thing is enough to drive you mad. But after <laughs> enough training uh, and listening to it in my left ear and letting it get ahead of me, taking the input, getting the words and then being able to act them out, that that is how I do my workflow right now. That's awesome. And I'm sure that that took you a long time to figure out. But as technology has advanced, it's also kind of opened up this channel that makes it probably a lot easier to do your job or easier than it would normally be. 
Yeah, I mean, so even even after I figured out the the little I call it the ear prompter uh, system, I still wasn't really keen on letting people in the business know. You know, the 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 internet speeds had gotten fast enough that I didn't have to go into studios anymore. Everybody was just emailing the copy, and if you have a nice booth at home, you do it at your house, you send it in. And I really wasn't keen on letting people know about my eyesight issue because even though I knew that I could get the copy done as fast, if not faster than most of the people out there with the systems I developed. I didn't want anybody to be like, well, we can hire these, any one of these 50 guys and they all do it the same way. But then there's this guy, you know, the 50th guy, he's blind and it's, you know, I just didn't want it to be a factor. Right. Um, you don't want people the, to decide who you are based off of just this, this part of you that happens to be there that people could judge you for. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, but uh, eventually, and I, I think um, it, it was a lot of it was a lot of factors in my life at the time. Uh, I think it was close to. I mean, it really took me until 2013 to start telling the story. I, I, I I'd done it a couple times in a couple local papers, but I was really afraid to let the whole industry uh, of voiceovers, uh, the nation at large know it's just, it's hard. Cause even now, even now with, with all the, the work that I do and, and the, the credits behind my name, I still get afraid that people are going to be like, nah, that's the blind guy. Um, and it's count just, you I out think it's because kinda, of that. yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of human nature, but at a certain point I felt like, cause people reach out to me, people that knew people that found out and they'd be like, Oh my God, you know, uh, it, it's inspirational to to see that you can do that, to see that you've overcome these these barriers. I mean, it was it was a lot, you know, not just that one agent who told me. I mean, I got picked on in school again, growing up in the eighties and nineties. It's not like like these days, kids I think are going to be a lot nicer, and the teachers are going to understand, and they got programs in place. They're called one of those individual IEP, individual education plans. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was. Well, uh, you're going to need to sit closer to the chalkboard and uh, maybe we can get you some large print books, but otherwise figure it out. And the kids in my elementary school, you know, they knew me from kindergarten to sixth grade and they understood. They were like, oh, this is Pete and his eyesight's getting worse. But then you go into seventh and eighth grade when kids are just starting to go to puberty and these kids didn't know me, you know, that we're all coming from different elementary schools and coming together. And I just got picked on endlessly. I mean, endlessly, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? Or maybe that hold up the, you know, the middle one, how many fingers am I holding up? Uh, knocking the big books out of my hands, like everything you could think of throwing stuff at me. And obviously I couldn't see it coming. So I'd get hit with things. And it was really hard uh, in junior high school, and I literally had to fight my way through junior high school. I mean, literally had to fight. And I wasn't a big kid. I'm still not a big kid. Um, but my cousin at the time, I didn't have any brothers or sisters. Uh, my, my cousin, who was about eight years older than me, he said, he's like, it's all well and good that they can pick on the blind kid. But he's like, I'm not encouraging anything here. He's like, but I have a feeling if they pick on the blind kid and the blind kid beats him up, no one wants to get beat up by the blind kid. And he told me that it was just a me and him conversation. Our parents were in another room or something. Uh, and I, I, I took his advice. And it's funny. Cause I don't, I don't recommend this. Like I don't recommend it to other kids. It was a different time. It's a different place. It's a different right. situation. Yep. <clears throat> Everything was different. But for me in, I think it was, I don't know what year was junior high school, 89, 90, something like that. 
with no program set in place, no one, no sensitivity training, no one uh, told what to expect from a blind kid. And they were just relentlessly beating on me. Uh, I mean, yeah, I started fighting back. And uh, to the credit of the principal, um, he, he took me into his office after like the seventh fight. And I didn't win them all. I didn't. Because like I said, I wasn't big, but I fought. I, someone wants to make fun of my eyes. I'm going to launch myself at you. And I got beat up just as often as I, I did the beating. But he actually brought me into his office and I thought I was dead. I thought I was getting suspended. I thought I was in all sorts of trouble. And he goes, um, I get it. I get what you're doing and I get why you're doing it. He's like, but it can't go on. He's like, you get one more. <laughs> and he gave me one more. The principal of the school gave me one more fight. And uh, the last kid, I was, I, was a, I was a skateboarder at the time. I was trying to do some skateboard trick. I forget exactly what the kid said. Someone was like, well, maybe if you can see what you were doing, or of course a blind guy can't do an ollie, something to that effect. And I just chucked the, the skateboard aside and launched at him and uh, threw him into a glass door. And it was, a, it was, I think it was one of the ones I won because he totally wasn't expecting me to come after him. Um, but after that, kids stopped picking on me. And um, ninth grade, we went to high school. And I ran for a class president, that, which in my school, I mean, some schools, it's kind of like nerdy dorky thing to do, but it was a bit of a popularity contest. I didn't win freshman year, but then I became the president of my class sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. And so I feel like I, I won the respect of my, uh, my peers and I tried to play as many sports as I could. I became the uh, captain of the sailing team, captain of the swim team, and I was a starter on my football team. And at my size, you know, I think I was 5'9", 170 at the time. I probably should have played safety, cornerback, halfback, um, but I was, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't see the ball. The, the, the ball was, I can't see the ball, but I, I figured like, I can't see the ball, but back then I'm like, I can see people, especially big fat kids. So <laughs> I will play offensive line. Those so fat just, kids are you know, not hard to see. <laughs> yeah. Big, the big six foot three, 260 pound kid in front of me just lined up as the defensive tackle. And uh, I hit the gym like a maniac. So again, I was five, nine, 170. If anybody's into weightlifting, I was squatting 495 pounds for sets back in high school. Ooh, all right. I mean, I was just, I went to the gym, like a maniac um, for a long time and just built up all that leg strength so that when the, the 260 pound kid leaned on me, it was nothing. I just squatted him off of me. And uh, I did, I became a starter. I played left guard for my, uh, my high school football team. That's incredible. I mean, all of this story that you are telling me now is like, Hey, I'm losing my eyesight. Things are kind of shitty in school. But then I'm like skateboarding. I'm like, you know, squat pressing like over 400 pounds. I'm playing football like. Did no one so no one ever tried to. No one ever successfully stopped you from doing anything that you wanted to do, anything that you wanted to do. It seems like you just went out there and you got it done. No matter I think what it was because in the very beginning, when I got diagnosed in 85, um, they sent someone from the state out to the, the house. And I remember sitting on the ground playing with some transformers or go bots or something. And my mom and this woman from the state were having a conversation. I was half tuned in half not. And the woman, I think most of the story is, is my mom telling me later, like I said, I wasn't paying that much attention, but she basically came out to offer state aid and told my mom, you know, he's, he's going to lose his eyesight. Uh, he's not going to make it through school. He's not going to be able to hold down a job. 
uh, you know, cause there wasn't any technology. There wasn't any help. We're talking 85, you know, like I said, they gave me a magnifying glass. Right. Good luck. Uh, so the expectations were exceedingly low. And my mom was like, no, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we'll register him with the commission for the blind, but we're not gonna, you know, the suggestion was to take me out and put me into a school for the blind, which would have been a reasonable course. But my mom, um, her sister, so the, the cousin I mentioned before, that a year after this, he would go to MIT and his older brother was already in Harvard. So you got my mom and her sister, each with kids, and one of them's got kids going to Harvard and MIT, and the other one's just told he's going to have to go to a school for the blind. I think my mom was like, no way. Like, my sister's kids aren't going it's to Harvard and MIT. Right? My kid's not going to the blind school like that. I mean, not that there's, you know, if you need it, you need it. And those are great resources for people that can't function in a regular school. But at the time, I mean, I just started to lose my eyesight, and they wanted to yank me out like then and there. And I think my mom was like, we'll figure it out for as long as we can and readjust at that point. Um, but her kind of find a way, figure it out attitude sank into me. There was no like, oh, I'm blind. I can't do this. I can't do that. It was just, uh, I'm blind. I need to figure it out. So, you know, I was diagnosed in third grade. And like I said, I made it all the way through 12th, went to Boston University, graduated there. And we just always kept finding a way to do things as opposed to sitting back and saying, and it's because I think it's because I mean, there's a number of reasons, my mom's attitude, the, the, the attitude in my household, my, my father's support, and, and the fact that it went slow. I think if yesterday, I had perfect eyesight, and then I woke up today and couldn't see my hand in front of my face, I'd probably be hiding under the covers of my bed for quite some time. Right. It's not like I'm, I'm wired like some Superman that's like, I'll defy anything anytime. I mean, it, it, it it happened over a very long period of time that allowed me to compensate, you know, this year's worse than last year, I'll figure it out. This year's worse than last year, I'll figure it out again. Um, and then the technology started to catch up with the, uh, uh, the text to speech, the, the ear prompter I developed, iPhones and any smartphone, um, the YouTube channel I get. I try to comment on as many as the, the comments, you know, people ask a question, I try and write it back. Like 30% of the comments, and I have thousands of comments at this point i'd say a good 30 percent of them are yeah but how did you read the comment which makes me laugh literally every time because <laughs> these people watch me ride a skateboard ride a surfboard wake surf throw axes shoot guns um electric skateboards ride a bike like all this crazy stuff we're doing and then they're like yeah but how do you read comments i'm like really that's what impressed <laughs> you the fact that i could read the comment and it's like it's you're the doing most so many things that yeah. completely defy any diagnosis, any disability, anything that you have, you're like doing all of these other things and they're hung up on like, yeah, but like, how did he like type back to me? Like, that's, right. that's not possible. Could no, you go it, into the system that you have? Because I have to say, I talk to a lot of people to get on the show. I send out many, many emails. You are the fastest responder and your emails. I'm not, I'm not kissing your ass here. Your emails are well-written, they're easy to read, and they're exactly all the information I need, no bullshit. And they're so fast back to me. So I was wondering this whole time, I'm like, okay, what is, what is his process to do this kind of stuff? It's well, that that's a function of uh, and, and I talked earlier about in the voiceover business, like I say that I work as fast, if not faster. I, I haven't actually worked with anybody and I've worked with a thousand different producers, writers, editors. No one's ever not said to me, you're the fastest I've ever worked with. I mean, maybe someone's faster out there, but my system is so nailed down, uh, locked in at this point that it, it is. So I get an email and so I wear an Apple watch at all times. It mirrors all of my 
um, messages. And as soon as I get an email, my wrist vibrates, I tap my wrist. It's probably if the microphone can hear that, yep. it says out loud, it's 1107am when we're filming this. So when I get a message, you know, you'd email me and say, I'm interested in having you coming on my podcast. Um, would you like to come on? I get that instantly. It's impossible not to. I'm wearing it on my wrist. Uh, if I don't tap the button right away, I'll, I'll forget about it. So I always tap the button, always get the message. Um, and then I do one of two things. I'll either dictate a message back either on the watch or on the iPhone um, or I come into my studio. And since I work so much, I'm pretty much always near a studio and I will type out a message clicky, 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 like typing. I learned in typing class how to type. Um, don't need to look at the keyboard, don't need to look at the screen. And so then what I do at the end of a dictated message or the end of a message that I wrote is I, I put the cursor at the top left of the screen, I can find that. And then I hit a button that starts reading it back to me. And if it reads it back, I'm so used to hearing the robot voice. If it's if there's a spelling error, or if I forgot a word, or if something's not right, I'll hear it. And then I can go in and fix that part. Um, and this is all I'm an extremely fast typer and dictating only takes, you know, as long as it takes to say it. So you send me an email, I listen to it, I hit reply, I either dictate, type it back, I, I check it one time with the uh, the voiceover, and then I hit send. So when someone emails me, they're going to get emailed back within a minute, you know, or two, unless I'm eating a sandwich or something, or, you know, brushing <laughs> my teeth. Uh, same thing right. with copy. When I get copy, I put it into my reader system, I hit go, I record it, I turn it into an MP3, and I email it. And you know, when you're doing 50 sessions a day, 10,000 a week, you can't take forever on them. So every piece of copy I do usually comes back to the person that sends it in about five minutes or less. So I've got all my systems nailed down. And again, this is all, this is all, we're talking about being in my booth and in my studio and in my house and using the technology that I'm comfortable with. I mean, if you were to take me out of my town and drop me into the center of an unfamiliar town and say, find the nearest drugstore and go buy a candy bar, like, that wouldn't happen. Like I couldn't do that, right. but you know, I've got my systems where, where I'm comfortable. Absolutely. I mean, again, like I have never emailed somebody and like within 30 seconds, like you're hitting me back and you're like, yeah, okay, here's this, this, and this. And I'm like, did, did he have that like, like pre-written out and like ready to go? I'm like, but it's all like specific. I, I was just very impressed with that. But I want to talk more about your voiceover work because you've worked with most of the major networks. And you've also played a lot of different characters uh, in cartoons and things like that. What is the favorite thing that you have that you do or that you've done in terms of character work? I um, These days, I, I, I've become a lot more promo trailer narration, just doing my voice. I don't do a lot of animation these days. I do. I, I like it. it. It's a lot of fun when you get to... Um, see how they animate you. I did something for a, a show called Ben 10, uh, a Cartoon Network show, and they animated me as a, uh, a, a it's like an old time news broadcaster with the gray wingtips. And I had like this, it was like a 1970s leisure suit on. And I remember that, I think I did it when I was like in my thirties. I'm like, why'd they animate me as a 50 year old guy with gray wingtips? But, but it was, it was fun to see that. It was fun to see what they, uh, what they did uh, in the movie trailer for SpongeBob sponge out of water. I got to play. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The, 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 the starfish, Pat Patrick, Patrick. I got to play Patrick's stomach. Um, he was, <laughs> 
it's too low. I think I think I'm out of the frame. But uh, if you You're if good. you take your if you take your hands on your belly and kind of make yep. your belly do the talking, oh yeah, his belly was doing the trailer. You know, in a world where two men need to save the world, and it, you you see this little <laughs> mouth happening, and then they zoom out, and it's Patrick just making his belly fat talk. And I was the I was Patrick's stomach in the trailer for for SpongeBob, and that was probably. That was probably, I mean, it was a movie trailer. It was SpongeBob, which it was huge. And I got animated as a starfish's fat belly. So like that one was hard to beat. That one was probably I one mean, of the more fun things. What more could you want out of life and a career than to be animated as a starfish's belly fat? Yeah, yeah, pretty much could have just retired then. So you are busy like all the time. We were talking a little bit before we started about how you have to schedule things. You're on call basically 24-7. How do you live your life and try and have a normal schedule while also, you know, people are dinging you all the time on your watch to do different things? Let me step out of the booth, uh, get my fiance and have her tell you about our life. <laughs> it's, uh, she's the saint. She really is. I mean, it's a very difficult life um, schedule wise. I'm sitting here. It's a difficult life. I live in San Diego and surf and it's, it's not a difficult life, but it's a, it's a very difficult schedule to maintain because I also I work worldwide from the Seychelles to Africa, uh, South America, England. France, I, I could go on. Um, every time zone there is, I work in, and most people need their stuff when they need it. And then, I mean, of course, the busiest is East Coast to West Coast in America, where I work for a lot of news organizations, including I'm, I'm the exclusive voice of Fox News. And when news happens, they need their stuff right away. If news happens at two in the morning, I got to get up out of bed and read it. If it's Saturday and I'm out surfing, I surf with a cell phone strapped inside my wetsuit just behind the back of my head. Um, and with the cell phone goes off, it's got the text to speech and it says, you know, Pete, news broke, copy below, read it as fast as you can. I mean, I got to come running out of the water, get the wetsuit off, get my girlfriend or surf coach or whoever I'm with uh, to, to get me to the car. We got to rush back home. I got to get into the booth. I mean, sometimes promos that you see on the weekend on, on Fox News and other news outlets um, in your local area, if it's my voice and it's a weekend, there's a fair chance that I'm reading it with a wetsuit draping halfway uh, still on my legs. <laughs> Um, if I'm out to dinner on a on a Thursday night with my girlfriend, and something happens, if if a movie trailer gets a revision, you you don't say wait to them because they'll say we'll get someone else, um, and you don't tell Fox News wait because they're going to need to get that promo in one way or another. Um, you say okay, you know if you just sat down to dinner, if your meal just came, um, we have to ask for it to be boxed up. My girlfriend very, very graciously understands that that's my job. Uh, fiance, girlfriend, fiance. I'm still getting used to saying that. I don't have two, the same person. Um, but she'll, <laughs> he's you know, that she'll, successful. She'll... He's got two people. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she'll, she, you know, with very few complaints, I think she's a bit of a, a, a saint. Uh, we've had to walk out of a number of dinners uh, just to go home and read some copy. Uh, so it's, it is, it is, and I, I have three uh, Apple watches, the one that I wear throughout the day with uh, its loud ding and loud text to speech. I have one that I wear surfing that is set to super loud because uh, it's kind of hard to hear anything right in the water. And then I actually wear one while I'm asleep with the, uh, the vibrate and the voiceover set super low. So if I'm there at midnight, two, three, four in the morning, and I, I, the thing will wake me up, I feel it vibrating, and I stick it really close to my ear. And, you know, it's, it's some copy from a, a company in England that needs something read right away. I try and sneak out of the bed and not wake her up. But it's, uh, 
I mean, I don't, I don't think I've slept through the, the night in four years. I'm, I get hit up wow. every night. It's like you're, you're literally suffering from success. Everyone wants you. So it's like your schedule's all screwed up. What yeah. is the, the worst thing that you've had to walk out of or gotten interrupted from? Uh, I mean, they're all, they're, they're all, it, it, it's equally disappointing every time. I'm sorry, but I can't take requests right now. Please try again in a bit. <laughs> phone, phone thought of it. watch thought I was talking to it. Um, I haven't had to, I, I haven't had to like walk out on a birthday her like birthday celebration or an anniversary celebration. That's good. N nothing like that, but it's, I mean, it's, it's every, you know, what's the worst one, the one that happened on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Saturday, like they all suck. Right. Um, I do feel the worst because we, we shoot the show. We shoot the show called uh, Blind Surfer on YouTube on the weekends. And it's a big crew these days. My surf coach, Josh, his girlfriend, Danny, comes up and helps out. My fiance is on a camera. We've got uh, a guy named Brooks that shoots drone footage for us. And we've got cameras set up on the beach. We've got cameras out in the water. Um, Josh and I are doing our thing. And then, you know, I'm, I'm wearing that, that phone that tells me I got to go. And everybody's cool about it. Like they get it, everybody gets it. No one's like, oh, this is surprising. Like they all know, but it's like, hey, we got to break down all this camera stuff. We got to right. get it all wiped down. We all got to get dried off. We got to get in the car and then we got to do it fast. Like, it's not like, oh, I'll get back to the studio in an hour. It's like, we all got to get in, get everything broken down, get in the van, the car, the cars, however many we have, get me back to the studio and get me set up like as fast as we possibly can. And you know, here we are in, in North County, San Diego surfing, like trying to film this inspirational show and just be chill and have fun and have a good time. And like, that's always a bummer when, when, when it happens uh, to, to that whole group of people. And not that it's any uh, better when it happens to me and my girlfriend were out trying to have a dinner together, but that's, you know, take the food, put it in the styrofoam, bring it home. I always feel bad when it's like, everybody shut down the set. We're all going home. Cause I have to eat coffee. <laughs> like that makes me feel the worst. Sure. So tell me a little bit more about that show because I I've seen a little bit of it. It is very inspirational. And I think what you've been able to do is you've taken this passion, obviously that you have for surfing. And it's also like you have this hook of people that'll see it on YouTube. They're like, well, hold on, wait a minute. He's, how does he surf if, if he's blind and you do all of these other things. So talk to me more about how you created that show and, and what you've been doing with it. After I started telling my story on a more national level uh, in 2013, the, the feedback that I was getting was was really nice. Uh, parents reaching out with, you know, my kid is uh, slowly losing his eyesight or has lost his eyesight. And, you know, thanks for showing me that there's more he'll be able to do. Or, or uh, I used to do a lot of speaking engagements to blind community, also to wounded warriors who I found to be uh, very inspirational in turn because they 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 they're built to move forward they you know a lot of them would lose eyesight or a limb and and they weren't like oh damn you know, i guess i gotta go sit home so many of them are like i want to keep going what do i do and so they were a great group to speak to and and i i had my story of um becoming a voice actor you know, you know, losing my eyesight, getting through school, playing some sports and becoming a successful, successful voice actor. I can't even say it. Successful voice <laughs> actor. Um, and that story was good. But I also found that at least once, at least once after every engagement, sometimes three, four times, I'd get emails from a kid or their mom or, or the, an adult in the crowd. They'd be like, great, I really enjoyed your story. How do I get into voice acting? And like, 
that's not really the point. Like I <laughs> wanted to be a voice actor and I found a way to do it. Like if you want to be an author, you need to find a way to do that. If you want to, you know, be a mechanic and your eyes aren't good, you need to find a way to do that. Don't do what I'm not showing you the one and only path for, for uh, people with sight limitations. Um, so I found that the story up until that point was a little limiting, not as all encompassing because, you know, it, it was, was really hard to specific. Tell it was very specific and it was hard to tell people, you know, I ended up became the captain of my swim team. They're like, okay, but you're a national voice actor and that's your living. And that's what I want. So for me, I, I started to learn how to surf when I moved to California and about three years in, I was getting halfway decent. I mean, it takes years and years and years and years to be a really good surfer. It's very hard. Um, I was getting decent and I was wearing a shirt that said blind surfer. And every once in a while, you know, 95% of the people ignore me, but 5% of people would come on and be like, man, that's really inspirational. That's cool that you're getting out here. Uh, that, you know, makes me, you know, not take for granted what I've got going on. And I, I got that a few times. And I actually, I went to a surfing competition, which I had no right to be in, but me and my <laughs> attitude, I was like, I'm going to be in a surfing competition. Most of your people probably don't know surfing, so I'll, I'll explain this a little bit. But I showed up to a local surfing competition from the Carlsbad Board Riders Club. Now, local Carlsbad Board Riders Club competition isn't like your local, you know, I grew up in a town called Winchester, Massachusetts. Like, if there were surfers there, it was, you know, the fireman, the teacher, the guy that works at the bookstore. Like, sure. all the people that showed up to this thing were ex-professional surfers. Cause that's our town. Like this is a town where Tony Hawk grew up and, right. and the, the flying tomato grew up out here. Like, so those are the kind of people that are doing this thing. And uh, one of the guys in my heat was a guy by the name of Taylor Knox. Now, again, your people don't know this, but imagine you want to go play a pickup flag, a uh, uh, football game uh, that got organized in your local town and you show up and like, Brett Favre and Randy Moss are on the other side. You're like, what? That is not what I was expecting. So right. I show up and there's Taylor Knox, like in the heat. I'm like, what? That is not fair. But he comes <laughs> over to me and he'd, he'd gotten uh, a wind of my story a little bit. I'd, um, I think I'd just done a, uh, an interview with like a local high school uh, group of kids that wanted to do a story about the blind surfer. And he saw it online. He really quickly, you know, busy guy, big surfer at a surf competition, got a million things going on. And he, he just like comes over. He's like, I want to shake your hand. You know, you make me want to, it was, it was a bit of an exaggeration. He's like, you make me want to be a better person. And immediately my, my girlfriend is like, that's, that's hyperbole. Like he doesn't, but I get what he meant. I got, right. you know, I I'm pushing through my disability and um, it, that kind of sparked something in my head. I talked to my surf coach about like, what do you think about doing this as a channel? Because Voice acting, like watching someone voice act, isn't all that exciting. It's just me telling the story. But this, going out there and getting on the board. And then, I, like I mentioned, I do a lot of other things, too. We take on different challenges. Uh, wake surfing, wakeboarding. I've shot guns. We've thrown axes. I, I know I'm capable of pushing myself to do a lot of things. And so that's why every weekend we, we take on some sort of a, a new challenge or just something that you, basically something you wouldn't expect a blind person to do. And we do it. And it's all fun. It's I, I, I'm not preaching on the channel or anything, and I don't even give the moral of the story. I just do it and hope that people watch it and take some inspiration out of it. Absolutely. Well, hey, Pete, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, and hopefully we can have you back on the show. Ah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.
All right, and that is going to do it for our episode this week. Huge shout out to Pete Gustin. I will tag his YouTube and his website below so you guys can check him out. Thank you again for listening. You guys make it possible for me to do what I love to do, which is this, interview really cool and interesting people. If you want to check out more episodes, you can go to our website, www.totspodcast.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. If you want to follow us on social media, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, Instagram, a couple other things. You can find us at TotsCast. Thank you so much for listening. We post a new episode every single Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'll see you next week.